May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. St. Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians from prison. He wrote it towards the end of his life, almost certain of his final outcome, that he was going to die a martyr for the Christian faith. He wrote it unlike most of his letters. If you look at his, most of his, Paul's letters, they're written to a very specific congregation with certain people in mind. One letter was actually written to an individual, Philemon, and he speaks to him directly. Paul writes in it most of the time in very specific ways to very specific congregations. But the Ephesian letter is unique in Paul's letters. He writes it, I think, to all the churches in Asia Minor. There are other copies of this same letter that are written, for instance, it has, instead of Ephesus, it has Laodicea in there. And the rest of the letter remains the same. There was an ancient postal route in, in Turkey, Asia Minor area, where you would come into Ephesus and then letters would be circulated around uh, through this ancient postal route. And so it's my belief that Paul wrote this letter to these churches as sort of his, his universal final appeal. That he wanted the churches to, um, to stand strong in the faith, to understand the essence of salvation by grace through faith, that it was not anything that they had done or earned, but that it was a gift of God, and then how they ought to live. And so the first three chapters sort of lays out that theology. The second part of the book is a, is a very more pragmatic, practical ways of, of dealing with, with um, life in a real world. And chapter 6, the lesson for today, is the end. Finally, he begins. The definition of an optimist usually is the woman who slides her shoes back on when the minister says finally. Um, but Paul really does mean finally in this one. This is the end of his letter. This is the, the conclusion. What does he have to say at the end? And it goes like this. Finally, be strong. Be strong in the Lord. And then he begins to lay out this metaphor that comes from, um, from the military. He lays out this fighting militaristic metaphor about Christians living in the world and what life has got to be like. He says, make sure that you know the methodias, the method of the devil. Understand the method of the devil. The point is this, Christians living in this world are at war. They can choose not to think so. They can choose to disbelieve that. They can whatever. But that's the, the fact of the matter is, if you're a Christian living in this world, you are living in conflict. You're living in conflict because there is a war. There is an evil one, the devil. Paul lays him out. A definite article, the devil. And then later we're going to find out that there are devils, plural. You are in conflict. You are at war because you live in a world that while the presence of God is very real and very near, there is also a very real presence of evil in it as well. The first thing I think Paul wants us to know then is to know your enemy. He does this directly and negatively in Latin, via negativa. He does it, what, do we, what is it not? Who is not your enemy? And via positiva, who is your enemy? Know both. It's important to know who is your enemy? For he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our 
our battle, our, our conflict in this world is not against haimakai sarkas. It's not against blood and flesh. It's not against human beings. And you say, but you've never met my neighbor. <laughs> you should meet this woman. She's crazy. No, that's, she's not your enemy. It, well, you should know that there are people who are, who are at work in the political world. No, they are not your enemy. They might not be very smart, but they're not your enemy. There are people out there who are, you know, they're conniving. There's, there are people who want to, to break in and, and steal my stuff. Or they might want to, to, you know, to, to trick me out of money over the phone or, or doing, yes, it's wrong. It's, 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 unhe- it's unhelpful. But they're, they're still not your enemy. Paul is in prison. Caesar is about to execute him. He should be very upset with, with the Roman ruler. But he's not. Because the Roman emperor is not his enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And the next time that you get really upset with somebody, and they probably have it coming, you have to remind yourself, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He's not my enemy. She's not my enemy. Who then is your enemy? Look at the text, will you? Will you take the, I think it's on page 7 in the bulletin. In verse 12. For we do not wrestle, contrive, fight against flesh and blood. But, here it is, who do we wrestle against? The rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Four ways of saying the exact same thing. That we wrestle against an evil demonic world that has real power in this world. Is at work. He's like, I don't know. I don't believe in all that. You know, the devil hiding under every book. You may not believe it, but St. Paul believes it. And he believes that this evil power at work in the world is infecting all sorts of systems. That it's at work and it's active. It's not just simply a, a matter of, you know, bad karma or bad energy. This is an active, evil persona in the world. These are devils, plural. Notice that all of these are plural nouns. The rulers, the principalities, at work in the heavenly places. And he doesn't mean in heaven. He means in the sphere that is not the physical. You know, there is this, this world in which we live, this very tangible, real hard, physical, can-touch-it world. Corporal, right? This is this, the, the world that we can touch. And there is a spiritual world. The world that we cannot see, but we know is real. That is very present. You've, you've sensed it before. In the presence of the Holy Spirit, at, at times you know where you know that, that God is so very close and you feel Him so rich and, and full. And, and you know that, that there's... And you've felt it the opposite way too, haven't you? You've been in a place... You've been around people where all of a sudden you have a real sense of evil, a real sense of, of, of some spiritual activity that is, that is ungodly. Paul is saying that in our world, the world in which we live, these two worlds overlap. And our battle is against these spiritual forces. In Daniel chapter 10, there's, a, there's an interesting thing going on. Daniel has this vision of this angel who comes to him. And the angel says to Daniel... I was delayed in coming to you because of the, the prince of Persia. 
That there was a spiritual forces at work delaying the angelic messenger coming to Daniel. And the, and the angel says, and it was Michael, the archangel, who comes to, to, to battle on our behalf. I mean, this is, I know this sort of sounds like sci-fi crazy sort of, but this is what Paul is saying. This is the real world in which we live. And our enemies are not flesh and blood. They're not human beings. They are spiritual forces of evil in the world. And they are cunning, and they are strong, and they are brutal, and they will do everything in the world to destroy your faith, and ultimately to destroy your soul. Well, how do they want to do this? What's their, what's their, what's their, uh, their object? Well, they stir up division and hatred. They objectify human beings. They attack our, our thought life and, and try to isolate us. Bring about things like, um, like anger and hostility and depression. And all of these are ways in which the spiritual forces of wickedness are seeking to destroy us. Paul is saying we have to know who our enemy is. Know your enemy. If you're going to stand strong, if you're going to be strong in the strength of the Lord, know your enemy. And then look at verse 13, will you? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. If you're going to defend yourself in this world where you are under attack as a Christian, how are you going to do it? First thing, you're going to know who your real enemy is. The second way is you are going to prepare for battle. I mean, imagine that you were actually sent into a real, like, physical battle. You know, the very first thing you would do is say, do I have any defensive mechanism? I mean, are there any defensive apparatus for me to put on? That is the plural of apparatus, isn't it? Apparatus. Do, do I have anything that I could put on to defend myself? You know, police officers wear these Kevlar vests. You know, soldiers put helmets on. They come with, you know, all sorts of... of, of peer, and and the, the, the image that Paul gives us is of a Roman soldier. The things that a Roman soldier would wear. Take up, this is the word he uses, take up the whole armor of God. Uh, We could also translate pick up. This is um, when a parent walks in and sees their child has scattered stuff all over the house. And they say, get this stuff picked up right now. You know, (laughs) right now, pick this up. This is the verb Paul uses. It's an aorist active imperative. It's a command. Right now, Pick this stuff up. Now, I know none of you have ever had to say that to your children. My children are a little unruly. And so I've had to say it to them, you know, pick this stuff up now. This is Paul. Pick up. And notice what you're to pick up. The whole armor of God. Not selective pieces. Not little parts. Take up the whole armor of God. Um... Uh, you remember The Hobbit, the Bilbo Baggins, you know, the, the Tolkien uh, novel? Uh, Bilbo Baggins has this ring that he uses that makes him invisible. He, you know, he sneaks into to the, the dragon Smog's lair, and he uses his, his invisibility ring to get in there and to, to look at, the, at, this, at this great uh, dragon. And, and Bilbo kind of lures him and he, he says, oh, you know, you're so impressive, you're so magnificent, you know, uh, I bet, I'll bet though you're really not that strong. I bet there's, I bet there's some weakness over there. And, and the, the dragon smog is like, there's no weakness. And he lifts up and he shows him this, you know, this powerful underbelly and, and Bilbo's looking at it and he notices 
that there's just one little small spot on the belly of smog. He eventually goes out and, and tells the archer, there's a tiny little spot right below his breastplate. This is where you get him. And sure enough, in, in the story, that's how smog is brought down, is his one little weakness. This is St. Paul's word to us. Take up the whole armor of God. Take up the whole thing so that you can stand. Verse 14, look, excuse me, 13. Look at 13 again. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, look at this, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore. You know, how about you? I'm a little dense, you know. I'm, not, I'm a little thick up here. It, it, it takes me a while. You tell me something once and I forget it. And you tell me a second time, and I forget it. But if you tell me the third time, there's a good chance that I might actually get it. Stand, stand, stand. Do it all. Having done all, stand. If you're unprepared, you know, you're not going to be ready. if If you don't take up anything at all, you're too weak. You're never going to make it. If you're underprepared, you're not too smart. Because you're going to come down. But if you, if you prepare, if you take up all that you need, you have a chance of standing. And then there's the defense. Paul gives us, he gives us similes, doesn't he? Put on the belt of truth. May your body be held together by, you know, your outer garments held together by truth. May you be a person who speaks the truth and lives the truth. And the breastplate, your, your Kevlar, Righteousness. You know, to defend you like anything else, righteousness, doing right, appreciating goodness, doing what is just and moral and decent, virtue, put on virtue, shoes, peace, the gospel of peace, everywhere you go. May you be a person of peace. Ironic in this warfare metaphor, isn't it? That we are people of peace. A great weapon in the world is to spread peace everywhere we go. A shield of faith and a helmet of salvation. This ought to be the way that that we enter into the world with these sorts of... And did you notice that these these are all defensive weapons? Every one of them. You know, your belt that holds your clothes together, your breastplate of righteousness, your shoes, your shield, your helmet. But there's another one, isn't there? And take up the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, now that's an offensive weapon. The word of God is an offensive weapon. Take up the the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The, The Hebrew writer says, the word of God is so sharp, it can pierce between the bone and marrow. Take up the word of God. These are powerful weapons. Able to, to slay your enemies, your real enemies. Not the ones that we think we have, but the real ones, the ones we cannot see that are at work in the world. Outside of um, the front window, right by my front door at our house right now, this very moment, there are yellow jackets that have um, taken up residence right underneath the vinyl siding. Okay, there's these yellow jackets that are there, and, um, and they've been there for a couple weeks. At first I was like, oh, they seem harmless, you know, they're not bothering me, I'm not bothering them, live and let live. Um, but then I read that yellow jackets can uh, multiply up to a, a hive of 5,000. 
And I thought, well, that's a problem, you know. Um, uh, two or three bees is not a problem. A 5,000 bees could be a real problem, especially right by the front door. And, and so, uh, so somebody told me somewhere along the line that, that you could throw a, um, a, a, a gasoline-soaked rag over top of, the, uh, you know, the entrance, and the fumes will, you know, they'll kill them. And I thought, well, I hate to kill them, but I don't want them living here. And so um, I thought, well, at least it'll evict them. Maybe they'll move somewhere else. So I, I went in the garage and, and found an old T-shirt and soaked it in gasoline and, and put it on top of the hole and, and then ran inside the house, you know. And I, they're right on the other side of the window. So I got on the window, you know, the safe side, and I watched. Turns out they don't like it at all, um, but they're not ready to leave, you know. So I'm watching, and there's all of a sudden a swarm. There must be hundreds of bees back there. Oh, my word, you know, they're everywhere. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just leave them alone. By and by, they'll be gone by the end of the day. End of the day, they were not gone. They're still swarming right outside of the window. I thought, what am I going to do? So I waited till the nightfall, and, the, you know, the bees kind of disappeared. There were still some hanging around, but they seemed kind of sleepy. And so I got out there with some caulking, you know, and I caulked up the holes along the way. That'll get them, you know. It'll, it'll get kind of stuffy in there, and maybe they'll take for a nice little nap. Um, and, and so I did that, and the next day I go out, and they found another way out. And they're mad because they can't get in the main entrance. And so they're all swarming around again. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my word, what am I done? I've stirred up a hornet's nest. Literally, you know. Um, and, and, and so I, I waited till nightfall and I caulked a few more holes. And they found a few more ways in. And last night I was out there caulking up some more. I've got a line of caulk all the way down and around the house. Started spelling things. And, you know. and this morning I looked out and there were a few. But I think I might have trapped them. I'm not sure. And all week I thought about how these little bees are like little metaphors for persistence, you know. They just don't go away. They fight. They're, they're tough. But it's the other way around. You know, the bees aren't the persistent one. I'm the one who are not going to let the bees live outside of my house. They're tough. They're mean. They, get, they have stingers. But I'm tougher. That's right. I'm meaner. Not really. But I, I, I will not allow them to live outside of my house. I am going to stand firm. You know, we really have to do that. It's silly when we're talking about yellow jackets and bee stings. But Paul says this is a real war we're in. This is a real battle. The thing that we have to hang our hats on, though, is the words of St. John who says to us, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So finally, put on the whole armor of God. And having done all to stand, stand. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.